Chapter 38 of Dogs and All About Them. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ian Gray. Dogs and All About Them by Robert Layton. Chapter 38 The Scottish Terrier. The Scottish Terrier, as a show dog, dates from about 1877 to 1879. He seems almost at once to have attained popularity, and he has progressed gradually since then, ever in an upward direction, until he is today one of the most popular and extensively owned varieties of the dog. Sir Peyton Pigott had, at the date mentioned, a very fine kennel of the breed, for in the Livestock Journal of May 30, 1879, we find his kennel fully reviewed in a most enthusiastic manner by a correspondent who visited it in consequence of a controversy that was going on at the time as to whether or not there was such a dog at all and who therefore wished to see and judge for himself as to this point at the end of his report on the kennel the writer adds these words it was certainly one of the happiest days of my life to have the pleasure of looking over so many grand little dogs but to find them in england quite staggered me four dogs and eight bitches are not a bad beginning and with care and judicious selection in mating i have little doubt but mr pigott's kennel will be as renowned for terriers as the late mr laverick's was for setters i know but few that take such a delight in the brave little diehards as mr pigott and he may well feel proud of the lot he has got together at great trouble and expense the fact that there was such a kennel already in existence proved of course a strong point in favor of the bona fides of the breed the best dog in it was granite whose portrait and description were given in the journal in connection with the said review and the other animals in the kennel being of the same type it was at once recognized that there was in fact such a breed and the mouths of the doubters were stopped granite was unquestionably a typical scottish terrier even as we know them at the present day he was certainly longer in the back than we care for nowadays and his head also was shorter and his jaw more snippy than is now seen but his portrait clearly shows he was a genuine Scottish terrier, and there is no doubt that he, with his kennelmates, Tartan, Crofter, Syringa, Cavick, and Posey, conferred benefit upon the breed. To dive deeper into the antiquity of the Scottish terrier is a thing which means that he who tries it must be prepared to meet all sorts of abuse, ridicule, and criticism. One man will tell you there never was any such thing as a present-day Scottish terrier, that the mere fact of his having prick ears shows he is a mongrel another that he is merely an offshoot of the sky or the dandy another that the only scottish terrier that is a scottish terrier is a white one another that he is merely a manufactured article from aberdeen and so on ad infinitum it is a most extraordinary fact that scotland should have unto herself so many different varieties of the terrier there is strong presumption that they one and all came originally from one variety and it is quite possible nay probable that different crosses into other varieties have produced the assortment of today. The writer is strongly of the opinion that there still exist in Scotland at the present time specimens of the breed which propagated the lot, which was what is called even now the Highland Terrier, a little long-backed, short-legged, snippy-faced, prick or drop-eared, mostly sandy and black-colored terrier, game as a pebble, lively as a cricket, and all in all a most charming little companion. And further, that to produce our present-day Scottish Terrier, or shall we say to improve the points of his progenitor, 
The assistance of our old friend, the black and tan wire-haired terrier of England, was sought by a few astute people living probably not very far from Aberdeen. Scottish terriers frequently go by the name of Aberdeen terriers, an appellation, it is true, usually heard only from the lips of people who do not know much about them. Mr. W. L. McCandlish, one of the greatest living authorities on the breed, in an able treatise published some time back, tells us, in reference to this matter, that the terrier under notice went at different periods under the names of Highland, Cairn, Aberdeen, and Scotch, that he is now known by the proud title of Scottish Terrier, and that the only surviving trace of the differing nomenclature is the title Aberdeen, which many people still regard as a different breed, a want of knowledge frequently turned to account by the unscrupulous dealer who is able to sell under the name of Aberdeen a dog too bad to dispose of as a Scottish Terrier but there can be no doubt that originally there must have been some reason for the name. In a letter to the writer, Sir Peyton Piggott says, some people call them and advertise them as the Aberdeen Terrier, which is altogether a mistake. But the reason of it is that forty years ago, a Dr. Van Bust, who lived in Aberdeen, bred these terriers to a large extent and sold them, and those buying them called them, in consequence, Aberdeen Terriers, whereas they were in reality merely a picked sort of old Scotch or Highland Terrier. Sir Peyton himself, as appears from the columns of the Livestock Journal, March 2, 1877, bought some of the strain of Van Bust, and therein gives a full description of the same. Sir Peyton Piggott's kennel of the breed assumed quite large proportions and was most successful, several times winning all the prizes offered in the variety at different shows. He may well be called the father of the breed in England, for when he gave up exhibiting, a great deal of his best blood got into the kennels of Mr. H. J. Ludlow who, as everyone knows, has done such a tremendous amount of good in popularizing the breed, and has also himself produced such a galaxy of specimens of the very best class. Mr. Ludlow's first terrier was a bitch called Splinter II. The name of Kildee is, in the breed, almost world famous, and it is interesting to note that in every line does he go back to the said Splinter II. Rambler, called by the great authorities the first pillar of the stud book, was a son of a dog called Bonacord and it is to this latter dog, and Roger Ruff, and also the aforesaid Tartan and Splinter too, that nearly all of the best present-day pedigrees go back. This being so, it is unnecessary to give many more names of dogs, who have in their generations of some years back assisted in bringing the breed to its present state of perfection. An exception, however, must be made in the case of two sons of Rambler, by name Dundee and Alistair, names very familiar in the Scottish Terrier pedigrees of the present day. Alistair especially was quite an extraordinary stud dog. His progeny were legion, and some very good terriers of today owe him as progenitor in nearly every line. The best descendants of Alistair were Kildee, Tyrie, Winston, Prince Alexander, and Heather Prince. He was apparently too much inbred to, and though he produced, or was responsible for several beautiful terriers, it is much to be doubted whether in a breed which is suffering from the ill effects of too much inbreeding, he was not one of the greatest sinners. The Scottish Terrier Club was formed in the year 1882. In the same year, a joint committee drew up a standard of perfection for the breed. Messrs. J.B. Morrison and Thomas Gray, two gentlemen who were looked upon as great authorities, having a good deal to do with it. Standard Points of the Scottish Terrier Skull Proportionately long, slightly domed and covered with short, hard hair about three-quarters of an inch long or less. It should not be quite flat, as there should be a sort of stop or drop between the eyes. Muzzle. 
very powerful and gradually tapering towards the nose, which should always be black and of a good size. The jaws should be perfectly level and the teeth square, though the nose projects somewhat over the mouth, which gives the impression of the upper jaw being longer than the under one. Eyes, a dark brown or hazel color, small, piercing, very bright, and rather sunken. Ears, very small, prick or half prick. The former is preferable, but never drop. They should also be sharp pointed, and the hair on them should not be long, but velvety, and they should not be cut. The ears should be free from any fringe at the top. Neck, short, thick, and muscular, strongly set on sloping shoulders. Chest, broad in comparison to the size of the dog, and proportionally deep. Body, of moderate length, but not so long as the skies, and rather flat-sided, well ribbed up, and exceedingly strong in hind quarters. Legs and feet. Both fore and hind legs should be short and very heavy in bone, the former being straight and well set on under the body, as the Scottish Terrier should not be out at elbows. The hocks should be bent, and the thighs very muscular, and the feet strong, small, and thickly covered with short hair, the forefeet being larger than the hind ones. Tail. Should be about seven inches long, never docked, carried with a slight bend, and often gaily. Coat should be rather short, about two inches, intensely hard and wiry in texture, and very dense all over the body. Size. From 15 pounds to 20 pounds, the best weight being as near as possible 18 pounds for dogs and 16 pounds for bitches, when in condition for work. Color. Steel or iron gray, black brindle, brown brindle, gray brindle, black, sandy, and wheaten. White markings are objectionable and can only be allowed on the chest and to a small extent. General appearance. The face should wear a very sharp, bright, and active expression, and the head should be carried up. The dog, owing to the shortness of his coat, should appear to be higher on the leg than he really is, but at the same time he should look compact and possessed of great muscle in his hind quarters. In fact, a Scottish Terrier, though essentially a Terrier, cannot be too powerfully put together, and should be from about 9 inches to 12 inches in height. Special Faults Muzzle either under or overhung. Eyes, large or light-colored. Ears, large, round at the points or drop. It is also a fault if they are too heavily covered with hair. Legs, bent or slightly bent, and out at elbows. Coat, any silkiness, wave, or tendency to curl is a serious blemish, as is also an open coat. Size, specimens over 20 pounds should be discouraged. There have, in recent years, been many very excellent specimens of the Scottish Terrier bred and exhibited. Preeminent among them stands Mrs. Haney's Champion Heworth Rascal, who was a most symmetrical terrier, and probably the nearest approach to perfection in the breed yet seen. Other very first-class terriers have been the same lady's Champion Gare, Mr. Pallet's Champion Callum Dew, Mr. McCandlish's M's Cosmetic, Mr. Chapman's Heather Bob and Heather Charm, Mr. Kinnear's Seafield Rascal, Mr. Wood's Hindman Chief, Messrs. Buckley and Mills' Clonmel Invader, and Mr. Dean Willis's Champion Huntley Daisy and Champion Carter Laddie. It is highly probable that of all the Terrier tribe, the Scotty, taken as a whole, is the best companion. He makes a most excellent house dog, is not too big, does not leave white hairs about all over the place, loves only his master and his master's household, and is, withal, a capable and reliable guard. He is, as a rule, a game, attractive terrier, with heaps of brain power, and from a show point of view, 
there is always some recompense in keeping him as it will be found he breeds true to type and does not beget offspring of all sorts shapes and makes end of chapter 38 recording by ian gray